Okay, hi guys, my name's Niall. Uh, I'm a medical student from Cambridge. Uh, I'm married to my fantastic wife, Charlie. Uh, she's the one with the curly hair. Uh, and I've been part of this church for almost 20 years. Uh, I grew up here. I went away on my gap yard, met Charlie, uh, so she's here now. Uh, and I've he been here ever since. I'm really, really pumped about what God is going to do through you and through the people that you know this year. That I think God's going to institute real change in our lives and real change in the lives of those around us. And I'm looking forward to, but I'm also apprehensive about God challenging us not to make you know, little adjustments here and there or little bits of honing, but instead manifold wholesale change to our lives. That's what God is asking us of. Big, giant leaps of faith, both individually, but also in our Barnabas communities. Um, if you're here for the first time or the 500th time, we all come as learners. People asking God, saying, what is God saying? Is it through the worship or through the Bible or through what me or James or whoever is saying? And then we respond in the context of that loving, welcoming grace that Jesus has for us to say, how does this mean that I get to live? This is the last of our three sessions on welcome, and although the welcome doesn't start, stop tonight, um, if you haven't already been welcomed here at St Barnabas, then I say again, welcome. We love you, we love having you here, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whether you've been walking with Jesus your entire life, or you don't even think that Jesus existed, we love having you here. Just as Jesus extends his welcome to everyone, as we'll unpack basically for the next couple of minutes, um, so we too want to welcome everyone into this family. Jesus came to seek and serve the lost, and that's exactly what we hope to do through our Barnabas communities, the primary way that we express church, in the everyday, in the ups and downs of life. That's where our extension of our welcome to the lost and the brokenhearted. Anyway, let's crack on. Open your Bibles at Mark chapter 10. I'm going to lose the bar stall because I'm too excited. I'm going to move around too much. Um, so it's Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I think I'm going to get into it too much. Yeah. Um, and Mark is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we find in the collection of the books. That's the Bible. So that's Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll read it. Father God, I pray that you would use tonight pray that this wouldn't be a run-of-the-mill night. There's nothing run-of-the-mill about encountering you, the creator of the universe. I pray that you change us. I pray that you change us so that when we leave this place, we are different people. I pray you'd use the words I say, and anything that is not of you would just fall to the ground. Amen. So it's very short, just four verses. So what I want, I want to start as we mean to go on with a bit of audience engagement, so we're going to read it all together in unison, because it's four verses so you can endure the pain for just a short amount of time. And uh, extra points for anyone who fully conveys how indignant Jesus is. It says Jesus is indignant, so, you know, make of that what you will. Okay, so has everyone got it ready? Everyone can see it. I'm going to read for the NIV, because that's what the church Bibles are. Uh, if you've got a different version on your phone, just say it really loudly so everyone thinks that you're better. <laughs> Um, okay, so are we ready? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, 
Are the people who aren't at the sides ready? Yes. Okay, let's go. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. What? What did I say? Is it? I just read it. It was the same. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Oh, fine. Okay, I'll just read it from here. See, I did the thing about, like, I've got a microphone, so I can say it really loudly so everyone thinks that I'm right. Okay, let's go. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Yeah, completely seamless that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, okay, so this week I met the Cutler's little baby. If you don't know the Cutler's, uh, they're this couple at our church. Chris used to work uh, here, but they had a baby seven days ago. Uh, little Margot Cutler. Uh, I was the first non-family to visit, so it seems fine. Um, she's just this cute little dumpling. Um, Chris is, was telling me about how he was sobbing when she was born. It was like, it was the most beautiful thing in the whole world. Um, you know, it's pretty cool, you know, that Nay had grown Margot, all of her eyelashes, her fingernails, her heart. It's pretty amazing. But, you know, you know I wasn't going to say anything, but, you know, maybe if you see Margot, you should. But currently, it seems like it's a bit of a one-sided relationship between Margot and the Cutlers. Like, she's just a passenger on the Cutler family train. And, you know... She can't, they're just spending all their time cuddling the baby and feeding the baby and washing the baby and cuddling the baby and feeding the baby. And you know, can she even do cool tricks to entertain dinner guests? Can she file her own tax returns? Although I don't know what those are because I'm still a student. Or, you know, can she cook her own meals? Yeah, I, I don't know. She's just this, you know, limpet. Um, I did get permission to make that joke, so it's fine. Uh, Jesus is welcoming not the people of influence, not the people of use, but the children. Jesus welcomes them in, those that had no status. Jesus could have been so much more successful, you know, if he just stuck with the big dogs. You know, go and speak to the people in power. Go and speak about politics. You can have so much potential. Stop faffing about with these kids. They're not going to get you anywhere. You've got limited time, Jesus. You've got to make sure that your contribution has the maximum impact for the maximum number of people. You know, the Cutlers didn't recruit Margot to be part of their family startup. Chris and they didn't select for a particular skill set to increase their family's net productivity. Margot is going to grow up to be whatever Margot ends up being. But that will never change the welcome and the identity that she has purely from being the child of Chris and Nay. So it is with us. You may think that you're useful to God, that you've got skills that are going to change the world, or maybe your little bit of the world, that you're in a position of influence. Or maybe you think the opposite, that God's never going to use you, that he never has used you, and you're just destined to be a spectator in all of whatever this is. But 
Jesus didn't recruit you. He adopted you. That's what we're going to unpack tonight. That Jesus didn't recruit you. He adopted you into his family. He doesn't care what you can or can't do. You're not a functional asset to him. You're a familial extension of his family. So tell the person next to you, Jesus didn't recruit you, he adopted you. Yeah. So when I was in my first three years at Cambridge, I helped lead the student Barnabas community called Unite before it multiplied into Thrive and Entwine. Um, seems like ancient history now. But in the very first year, I was the only Cambridge student at this point in term. And now if you've known me for any length of time, you'll know that I was pretty keen to like, get stuff kicking off. Um, I, was just, you know, I was just like pure enthusiasm, really. Um, I was so eager, in fact, that I started doing something called, now, I now refer to as the hard sell. You know, if a student came through the door, you know, maybe like in a, um, a night like this, you know, I'd be on them. I, I'd be telling them how exciting this year was going to be, how much they'd be doing, how many opportunities they would have to lead, how useful having them would be, how much God was going to use them. You know, just think of the objectives we were going to fulfill. <laughs> I was trying to create a family, but I was starting with people's function, encouraging people on how useful they would be for us and our vision. But I was so wrong that this isn't the biblical picture of welcome we see in this passage. Jesus welcomes these kids as they are. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Our interaction with Jesus is relationship before responsibility. You know, Barnabas' community is firstly family and then function. Tonight, Jesus is welcoming you like that. Whether you've met Jesus before, or if this is your first time here, is that how you imagine Jesus? Is that how you think of him? With his arms open wide, saying, come here, child. Come to me. Now, here's the cool thing. God is a much better welcomer than I am. Um, he knows each one of our names. He welcomes each one of us with his open arms. He cares so much about you. His welcome is contingent on his character and his competence, not ours. So many of us count ourselves out, or we overthink it, or put criteria on ourselves. We say, you know, I need to be more hardcore, I slipped up last week, or I need to be stricter with myself. And we disqualify ourselves from the love that Jesus has for us through a self-inflicted technicality. It says in Isaiah 49, 13 to 16, Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion, that is to say Israel, or kind of in this analogy, us, it says, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. You know, I'm out. I'm beyond help. I'm not worth this. I'm not in that class of people who can be loved by God. I'm just on the outside looking in. And you might feel like that tonight. But it goes on and says, no. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast 
and have no compassion on the child she has born. Metaphors in a sermon coming together. It's great. Um, though she may not forget you, I, though she may forget you, I, the Lord, will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. God cannot and will not forget you. Through the pain of the cross, through the sacrifice of his very own son, he has painfully written our names on his hands. He died to prove that he will never forget the names of his children. Imprinted upon himself that fateful day, he has signed the contract with a cross. So I'm going to say it again, just, you know, for emphasis. Jesus welcomes the children in this passage. The people he gains nothing from, but yet to them, he gives the kingdom of God. Not on their actions or their skills, but purely based on who he is. So it is with us. All through the Bible, there's mention of this wedding feast at the end. Um, before, Well, I couldn't really work out whether it was before the end or anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, at the end of time, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, that's what I'd written down. That would be much simpler now. The greatest party that is ever going to be thrown. You know, as we enter, we count ourselves out. We, we stand on the edge, ashamed, looking in, ashamed of ourselves. But then the bridegroom, Jesus, stands up. He stops talking to the beautifully dressed, intelligent, amazing people he's speaking to, and he stops mid-sentence. He makes a beeline for us, coming and embracing us, the tightest, most warm, welcoming hug that we've ever received. And he's whispering in our ear how glad he is that we're here. He sits us down next to him in pride of place as his bride. So in this metaphor, the church, us, are the bride of Christ. You know, it's got our name written on a little card in front of us as if we were always meant to be there. And as we meet, we eat the most delicious feast and drink the fantastic wine. We see something on Jesus' hand. You know, maybe it's notes for the, the groom's speech. Maybe he's got some jokes about the first time he met us or a list of thank yous or, you know, imagine how great Jesus' groom's speech is going to be. But then we see that it's not pen. But instead, it's deep gashes into his hand. Instantly, we react saying, Jesus, what happened? Are you, are you okay? What's going on? And he reaches up to us. And we see the gashes read. Don't forget them. Don't forget Niall. Don't forget Rachel. Don't forget Dave. Don't forget Charlie. And we say, Jesus, how could you do this? Why have you done this? I'm not worth this. Why? I'm just a worthless piece of this puzzle with all these amazing people. Why have you written my name? Why have you carved your name, my name, into your hand? And Jesus answers, I didn't want to forget to welcome you. I didn't want you to be out there on the edges looking in. I wanted you to be next to me. Everything I've done, I've done to bring you here sat next to me. The pain of being stripped and flogged. The pain of the cross on the hill on Golgotha. The pain of being hung by nails through my hands and feet. The pain of having my friends abandon me. The pain of being alone. The pain of death. It was all worth it to have you sitting next to me right now.
That's what Jesus says to each one of us tonight, right now. It was all worth it to have you here sitting next to me. You know that all you have to do is say yes to Jesus to have that welcome. There's no course you have to go on. You just have to say, Jesus, I know that I'm not getting everything right. But wow, I want to be with you. I want to be part of your family. You could do it tonight. It's so amazing. It's so unexplainable, yet it's so simple. That we all started in this position where we're separated from God. Even though he created us, we're given the freedom of our own desires. Our own choices. Jesus wants to be so close to us. He wants, to be part of his, he wants us to be part of his family. But he couldn't have that without the cross and resurrection. Because he's so perfect. He couldn't be with us unless we were made perfect. He so desires for us to be with him that he chose himself to pay the price on our heads to make us perfect. Through the cross, Jesus receives the punishment and separation from God that we would do. He took our place so we could take his in the family. But he went further. The resurrection three days later means that Jesus is more powerful than the world and the sin that's holding on to us. Because he's paid the ransom on us, we're free to be adopted into that family that I was talking about. Not only are we saved from that separation that we're due, he can now present us completely perfect on that wedding day to be welcomed into his family. But as always, Jesus doesn't leave it there. These gatherings are meant to reflect Jesus' teachings that it's one of immense invitation but also one of challenge. That he doesn't want us to just stick here. Jesus' ministry was one of immense invitation. We're invited to join the creator of the universe's family. Not based on our own ability, not based on what we've done, but what he's done. But Jesus leaves us with that challenge. I mean, Jesus is a life changer. And so often we come and we don't want our lives to change. We're not prepared for that 180, I was about to say 360, that wouldn't work. 180 degree change. Sometimes we're not prepared for that, but I say let's be prepared for that. He stings the disciples this challenge. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You know, I find it very, very easy to be critical. You know, I'm always looking for something to improve. I'm always analysing, maybe like finding a gap in someone's argument. Maybe I'm sat there when someone's preaching and saying, how would I have done this better? But children trust what their parents tell them. You know, I don't doubt that some of you feel like you've done the kids' stage of Christianity and now you want, you're done with the milk and you want the meat. We've, we've reached a certain level of Christian competency that we're fine. And now we're wanting to build that to start our international ministry. But on the flip side, maybe you're just bored and disappointed. Maybe you've been around the block a few times and the church has good times and it has bad times and in reality it's just about reinventing the wheel so we don't get bored. You know, we get a little bit of hype in September, Christmas nostalgia in December, flow through Easter and then we're back in September again. Maybe you like that. 
And if I'm honest, I felt pretty like that at the end of this summer. You know, I felt like, can I pull myself up on my bootstraps to do this again? But that isn't the childlike approach that Jesus is beckoning us towards. A child is so reliant on the will and resources of their parents. It's not about reinventing it. It's not about us inventing something or putting carpets on the floor or anything. This is the fifth incarnation of the evening gathering that I've been part of in my 20 years here. It's easy to be cynical, but it's not our job. God is calling us out and saying, this is the path that I have set you on. It's about diligently following what our Father is telling us. Children go where they are led. They follow their parents' leadings. Self-confident adults, like I was describing myself as, say, I'm all right now. I've got God in the back seat, but let's see how it goes. Are we going to approach... I'm sorry, I skipped a bit. As we go forward through the rest of this year, we're going to encounter quite a lot of challenging stuff. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't have any pulled punches. It's going to be stuff that either we don't necessarily agree with or even isn't being borne out in our lives, even if we do agree with it. Are we going to approach that as children, listening to their parent, hanging on every word of what they say, or are we going to try and squeeze what the Bible's telling us into our worldview that we currently hold? Just try and squeeze it in. It's the difference between these two terms exegesis and eisegesis. They're just posh words about how we interpret the Bible. With exegesis, we take God's word and God's will as a firm foundation, and then we bring our conclusions, we build our house on that. As disciples, we learn from and take our leading from God. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, are we going to allow ourselves to be challenged by God? Next week with Vision Sunday, are we going to sit back and say, oh, I'm not sure about this. Are we going to say, God, let's go? As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, are we going to allow ourselves to be challenged by God? That's exegesis. Letting ourselves be taught by the text, by God, setting our lives up on that. Or are we going to do eisegesis, which is the opposite of exegesis? Where we come with our own house, our own presets, our own worldview, And then we read the Bible or we hear what someone's saying and we try and squeeze it into what we already exist. And anything that doesn't fit, we just leave by the wayside. Are we going to do that? Do you think God has more for us? You know, some people might have to rebuild the entire house or some people might just be building theirs already and we can put the foundations under it. But what are we going to build our house on? This is the essence of God's welcome, is invitation, come whoever you are. Whatever you bring and put it all on me, Jesus. His invitation is that we fully rely on him. That he's going to carry that immense load that we've all been carrying. He says, make me the foundation of your life because I'm trustworthy. That's what the cross says and the resurrection. says, I told you I was going to do a thing, I did it and I came back. I'm trustworthy. That's that amazing promise from another bit in Isaiah. He's talking about his yoke, those sort of harness that an oxen might wear, that the yoke that he gives us is light. The burden that he has for us is light because he's taken the load. But here's the rub. We've got to let him carry it. 
we get to make that choice to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you instead of myself, instead of what the world's telling me. We can't stick with the millennial dream of self-worth based on myself. We can't stick with the Arthur theme tune saying, listen to your heart, listen to the beat, you know. It's a simple message. It comes from the heart. It's not just the stuff that we can't carry that we give to God. It's not just the excess. You know, like the really tough stuff, like the suffering of loved ones, the disappointments in our lives, pain from unhealthy relations, but it's also the stuff that we think we can carry on our own. We say, thank you very much, I've got that. Stuff like career choices, how we spend our evenings, how we spend our weekends, how we spend our money, where we live, who we're going to invite into our homes. All these things we can have a go at carrying by ourselves, but are we ready to let God take over the carrying of those things? Can I invite the the band to come up? I, I don't want people to forget the sort of middle section of that, that actually Jesus is offering you this amazing opportunity of welcome.